You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here on the Westwood One Podcast Network at CRTV. It's Wednesday afternoon, March 21st, and welcome to the spring wonderland. Yes, uh, on the East Coast here. We actually are getting 8 to 10 inches of snow on the second day of spring. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Just today on the left coast in California, Judge William Alsop, who is the same judge that basically said, if you follow immigration law, it's unlawful uh, and amnesty is the law of the land. That same guy gave standing to a bunch of kids to sue against the weather for global warming. So today he's holding a tutorial on global warming as preparation for the trial. You know, I was thinking marriage counseling, uh, you know, psychology, everything's going to be done in the court soon. I mean, they're, they're, they're just about everything and maybe even healthcare as well, which we're going to get to in a couple moments. Um, I promised you that we would do a bunch of shows this year on healthcare, digging and diving deep into what I believe is the most important economic and liberty issue in the country. And what we can do about it, what's really wrong with it. We had our conversation last week with Representative Jim Butler of the Ohio Legislature, a friend of mine, very informative. And I want to follow up on that today with Dr. Kevin Way Casey. But before I get to him, just want to go over some notes here. I will be on Levin TV and not Levin's CRTV show, but his Fox News Sunday night show within a couple of weeks. So we're going to go on today uh, or maybe tape today for next week's show. It got canceled. Mike Lee's going to be on, but hopefully in about two or three weeks. So I'll let you know when that happens. Um, couple of quick issues here going on before we get to healthcare. Number one, the omnibus bill. Many of you see that dropping. Um, watch my articles and my Twitter feed because I'm not going to have time to get to it today. I'm working on about 10, 12 bullet points, but it's every bit the political adultery that you expected and we're going to break that down um we got a whole bunch of crap going on in the courts uh you know aside from that crazy global warming judge that is just you know off off kilter we'll get to at some point today i have my article on who pays taxes and who doesn't cbo has brand new data on breaking down the top 1%, 10%, 20%. So you, I'm going to link to that in show notes. You guys might want to bookmark that. It's just very good resources for uh, uh, debating a liberal. Um, also, we're going to have a series on state legislatures. How, you know, we always hear Republicans only have 51 votes in the Senate. They don't have 60 votes. Well, you know what? Republicans have super majorities in over 20 legislatures, and they're doing absolutely nothing with it. Um, their you know leadership is blocking basic religious liberty bills, pro-life bills, um, tax cuts in a whole number of states, including Oklahoma, where they have a 40 to 8 majority. So it's not a numbers problem. It's a ideology problem. It's a philosophical problem. The Republican Party is broken from head to toe. So we'll get to that as well. Um, I also want to get to the whole Yemen nonsense, Mike Lee's fight against the stupid Yemen engagement where we're refereeing a civil war between Al-Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula and the Houthis backed by Iran. So basically, all the neocons are saying, well, if you don't get involved, you're siding with Iran. It's like saying the blood's in the crypts. If you don't get your head chopped off between them, you're siding with any one of them. And really, it makes no sense for us to get involved. The way to fight Iran is to take the fight directly to them through the use of soft power sanctions, getting rid of the Iran deal, not getting, rid of, getting involved in the proxy war dumpster fire. So... That vote occurred yesterday, and um, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and Steve Daines from Montana were the only Republicans to vote for that. And, and again, you know, it's not just blocking uh, our engagement. It's demanding congressional input. It's not only constitutionally mandated. It's just prudence-wise. Um, you know, I'm a hawk. I'm a, I'm a, I, I want to beat the bad guys. 
the best way to do that is having the input of Congress to properly articulate what are we doing? What grand, ground are we going to hold on behalf of whom? Uh, you know, how are we not going to repeat the mistakes of Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan? What exactly is the end game? We can't ask these questions when we have the military just being on autopilot and controlling its own destiny. It's not what the founders wanted. Anyways, you can tell lots going on, but we have our guest on the phone lines I want to get to for our main issue today, how government is de- destroying the quality of healthcare by creating corporate monopolies. Dr. Kevin Way Casey was on our show, I believe, last July. Really enjoyed it. I, I've been promising you guys I've, I would have him back. He's been practicing medicine since 1994. Um, when he graduated from medical school, he took an oath to do no harm to patients. And to him, that includes financial harm. I wish our government would take that Hippocratic oath. Anyway, um, Dr. Casey is really is really funny Twitter. You guys got to follow him at HConomics. Um, lots of good stuff. You go to healthcareonomics.com. You could see his website, the books he has there, the guide to buying health insurance and healthcare. Also, 500 ways you're being ripped off by the health insurance and healthcare industries. Um, we'll have that information in show notes, but um, definitely want to follow him long beyond this podcast. And with no further ado, we got Dr. Kevin on the line. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's sunny and about 70 degrees here in Texas, so I'm sorry your spring isn't turning out the way that we all should have it. Yeah, the only problem so, yeah. is I got my kids here, so uh, working from home, and <laughs> right. I only have a semi-soundproof office, not fully soundproof, so if you guys hear any noise, uh, you know where it comes from. But you, you know what's funny? I'm just thinking um, the government shut down today. You know, it's funny. They, we we yeah. have to destroy our government and pass a horrible bill to avoid a shutdown, but they're shut down anyway today. Um, I got four neighbors back of me, in front of me on both sides, work for Social Security. They're off, and I'm working hard all day here. Um, but anyway, Anyway, yeah, that that is that is what we're doing here. So, you know, speaking of government um, not doing its job, but then doing what it's not supposed to do, like practicing medicine. Uh, I know you heard our conversation with Jim Butler last week. Um, yeah. You know, talking about right. exactly talking about how Medicaid and these programs create monopolies, and how the Republicans are missing a golden opportunity to go beyond this zero-sum game race to the bottom discussion of how much you're going to help people and how much money you're going to give to the poor and rather demonstrate how it's these very government programs and interventions that are hurting everyone. So today I want to discuss, you know, the first time we had you on, it was more your general thesis that you've been writing about for years, how we're being ripped off, how um, the charge of healthcare is too much. It's not commensurate with what the true price and cost is. Um, today, I'd like to move a little bit beyond cost and discuss yeah. all the ways on how government-created corporate monopolies that are not just gouging us, but downright hurting the quality and delivery of healthcare. So if you could start that off anywhere you want and take it to wherever you want to take it. <laughs> well, let me say this. You're, you're exactly right. When I, when I took that oath, uh, after I finished medical school, I took an oath to do no financial harm to my patients. And I take that extremely seriously, and I'm sure that a lot of physicians do. But, you know, you're talking about corporate monopolies. And, and I would say this without sounding too sanctimonious. I'm going to make a statement here that I will explain. But it sounds really arrogant and conceited, and I don't mean it to sound this way. But it is basically this. Daniel, no physician should be employed by someone else. And when I say that, what I mean is, if you look at what a physician is supposed to do in treating patients and taking care of other people's health, you you quickly, if you start talking about throwing that physician under the auspices of a corporate control mechanism or a publicly traded company mechanism, you quickly get into a morass of just absolute conflicting duties. In other words, I have, as a physician, a legal a moral, ethical, and even I would go so far as to say fiduciary duty now to my patients. And by fiduciary, I mean the Latin uh, root of fiduciary is fidere, which means to trust. And although we talk about fiduciary in terms of you know financial planning and legal entanglements, really now that patients have high deductibles, physicians are more and more on the hook 
as fiduciary agents. In other words, it should be part of the physician's job not to bankrupt the patient by ordering a bunch of tests and doing a bunch of stuff that's going to, you know, cost the patient thousands and thousands of dollars and send them into bankruptcy. So more and more, our, our, our duties to the patients are broadening. But given this, if, if I'm structured under a corporate uh, uh, guise or under a corporate, you know, where I just go and punch my time card and I go and see patients and the company generates uh, bills and takes care of all the financial aspects for me. Well, the companies are making money off of the physicians. And although that sounds okay on the surface and, you know, why would you complain? I mean, everybody gets made. My, my father used to have this talk with me. He'd say, why are you complaining? Everybody makes money off everybody else. Okay. Well, I'll grant you that. But, you know, it's a quite a different thing when I have a duty to a patient that might be impacted and in fact is impacted every day by the corporation's drive to make the profits, to make as much money as possible. And so that's where we come into conflict with this. If I'm a physician and I'm seeing patients and I have a duty to that patient, my duty to my employer to fulfill my employer's wishes quickly comes into conflict here. And so anytime physicians are employed, even on a small scale, I would say the potential for hazard exists. Now, is that possible in the real world? No. I mean, physicians are always going to be employed. You've got public county, you know, uh, public health uh, advocates or public health positions, et cetera. But when you start talking about these giant companies, you know, these ever-increasing giant healthcare networks, hospital networks, uh, CVS is taking over, you know, physician practices and insurance companies and that kind of thing. Man, the potential for abuse, the potential for just widespread skullduggery goes, it just skyrockets through the roof. So I would say that the corporate practice of medicine is a very, very bad thing, just in and of itself. You have to prove to me that it's a good thing. And so far, I haven't seen much proof of that. Sure. And when you talk about corporate practice of medicine, so obviously, you know, we all believe in the free market here. And, you know, when you have a company come along and say, I don't know, let's say Amazon, and they are looking to get in, would say, look, you know, they're not getting any government subsidies any benefits from insurance cartel, we will hire the MDs. Maybe we are MBAs, but we're going to hire the MDs that are good. Um, and I understand how even in, even a free market, you're kind of like, you know, not comfortable, as you said, from your oath, um, just the way you feel medicine should be. But, you know, if it would be one thing if the free market was dictating that, that, you know, the right. best outcomes and pricing right. would dictate that, yeah, it's kind of headed towards the big <clears throat> mergers. But to quote Elizabeth Warren, except appropriately in this case, you didn't build that, boy. <laughs> you guys didn't build that at all. Um, government built it for you. I just want to read to you some statistics and get your, um, get your comments. This is from a, a, a healthcare website, Fierce Healthcare. Um, hospitals bought those bought practices between July 2015 and June 2016, according to data from the Physicians Advocacy Institute and Avalar. Over the same right. period, the number of physicians employed by hospitals grew by 14,000, representing nearly 11% growth. So that's just in one year. But here's the broader picture. The PAI report shows that 40 Two percent of physicians were now employed by hospitals as of July 2016. That's already almost two years ago. I'm sure it's more compared to just one in four in July 2012. Well, what happened in between then? Obamacare. That's right. And Obamacare and the ever spiraling health insurance deductibles and the out of pocket responsibilities that are being put on patients to pay for their care. Plus, also, the insurance companies have, have started to monopolize and to, to congregate and consolidate so that they have an ever-increasing share of the market pie. This is really just, David— Wait, wait, didn't well, we just we see— Well, say David, it's— uh, did, Didn't we just see something like that where an insurance company bought a big medical practice? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, CVS bought Aetna. Um, and so they're, they're going to consolidate all their health insurance and their healthcare minute clinic things together. But, um, I think it was, uh, United Health, was it United Healthcare? They bought Express Scripts, which is a gigantic pharmacy benefit manager thing. It wasn't a direct medical practice, but you're seeing this kind of consolidation throughout healthcare and even, even bridging into health insurance now with these two or with this, with the CVS Aetna thing. And really it's, 
it's positioning themselves for the future of the healthcare economy, which is going to be cash-based, I'm, I'm convinced. People that have $7,000 deductibles are going to start becoming shops. They're going to start becoming smart shoppers, and they're going to look for deals, and they're going to look around and try and find what suits them, and, and you're going to see the healthcare prices come down. So it's, it's my opinion that all this consolidation, all these mergers, all this acquisitions and stuff is just for future market positioning uh, strategy. I don't think it's going to work. But, but gobbled but up wait, in that wait, wait, are a lot of position practices. Back up. I'm I'm the doomsdayer, doomsday sayer. Yeah. I'm the the guy you? that forebodes no. ba- bad news. <laughs> I want you to show why I shouldn't be pessimistic about this because what I'm seeing is let me just read it to you from Modern Healthcare blog. When hospitals acquire physicians, refer, referral referral patterns change. Physicians are more mm. likely to refer patients to higher cost facilities within their employer networks which potentially impedes competition from other hospitals. And they come out and say that the share of spending associated with hospital and practices rose from 16.9% in 2007 to 26.5%, and that they inflate the cost by as much as 14%. So if Obamacare and Medicaid and the, all the insurance contracts, because that's what it is, that's what the subsidies and Medicaid right. is, it just gives right. a pot. It's not even like, okay, I give consumers, you know, like food stamps. We want to subsidize you. Government gives you money. You go out, cost consciously, shop, whatever you want. It's that the government takes a chunk of the consumer base, 50% of it, hands it to the cartel and says, here you have it. Aren't, right. aren't we all screwed then? Where is it, where, how are we ever going to dig out of that, um, you know, like you're saying? Well, if, if I can say this to give you a little background on what this is all about, what's really driving all this. If you want to control health care, the name of the game is to get control of the patients, okay? You can spend a lot of time and money trying to get control of the doctors, which is relatively hard, unless you have control of the patients. I write about this in, the, in my first book, The Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare. I talk about how the $5 copay was the most brilliant thing ever because it gave the health insurance industry the control over the minds of the patients. Now they can, they can direct patients to the doctors that were, are willing to work with the health insurance companies and accept their allowed amounts and their negotiated fees by offering the patients $5 copays instead of the patients going and if they're having to spend their own money, spending $30, $35, $50 for a doctor's visit, now they've got a $5 copay. If you remember back to those days in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, so they got control of the patients. Well, now the health care system is trying to get control of the patients as well, because what I said earlier, they realize that now patients are going to be forced to pay for a lot of their own care on their own with these higher and higher deductibles. So the name of the game, the trick is to gather up as many patients as you can. The trick to doing that is to buy physicians' practices, consolidate with physicians' practices. And they do this in a very brutal, strong-armed way. The, I've got an article dating back to 2000 uh, talking about the, a pediatric heart surgeon here in Fort Worth that was basically shoved out by the Cook Hospital system here in Fort Worth, Texas, when he wouldn't play ball with them. He wouldn't let them buy his practice, so they just shoved him out. They formed an exclusive contract with another heart specialist, another heart surgeon, and they basically ended this guy's practice. Dr. Fox was his name. But the bottom line, I don't mean to digress, but these hospitals are very, very interested in controlling the physician's practices, not only because they can make revenue from the physician themselves. In fact, there's a quote from a, from a very uh, well-known physician recruiter in that 2000 article that she bluntly says that hospitals can generate two times a physician's salary and revenue from employing doctors. But on top of that, the, all the other ancillary stuff, the referrals to the clinic settings, the rehab centers, the inpatient and outpatient centers, that all gets to stay in network if I'm XYZ network, and now I have control of the doctors. Mm-hmm. But as far as the government's role in this, the government allows this. The government creates special rules and regs and laws that allow the health care industry, and first of all, the health insurance industry 40, 50 years ago, to do Daniel, what no other industries can do, and that is put restraints on physicians' trades, put restrictions on consumer or the patient's choices. I mean, can you imagine the government creating a law that says you have to buy banana splits at, you know, Jake's Banana Splits Shack? You can't go buy your banana split anywhere else. 
I mean, or if you do, you're going to be penalized hardly by this pricing mechanism? That wouldn't fly in any other industry. So the government's role in this, the government has, has created laws and rules that allow this kind of stuff to occur, and, and, and it just sits by on the sideline while this is happening. The end result is you get less consumer choice, less competition amongst health care providers and health insurance providers when you're talking about these giant corporate entities. And what does that naturally do? Raises the price, lowers customer service. It's just bad all around. So you're talking about price. If we wanted to move beyond that and say, look, all right, so you're going to pay more. That's obvious. You know, you have a monopoly. But look, you know, isn't it, you know, isn't it better to go to the uh, hospital conglomerate that has all that equipment and all that institutional (laughs) knowledge rather than going to Dr. Kevin's little rinky dinky independent thing there? How does it hurt? Can you give some examples of how this is vividly hurting the best scientific outcomes driving the best clinical practices? Well, I will say this. That's the marketing approach they use is that, you know, we're, we're here for you. I mean, you can see billboards all over the place. Let me, let me give you a little sideline, too, here that as a physician in Texas, at least, I don't know about other states, but I'm prohibited from advertising that I'm the best. I cannot say that. If I say that I'm the best or I'm superb or I'm superior to my colleagues, I can get in trouble. I can get sanctioned by the medical board for advertising that, which I'm not advertising that, okay? But the hospital that employs physicians like me, they have no restrictions on this. They can say, come see our doctors. We have the best specialists around. Our our doctors care for you. They can say whatever they want to, and there's no sanctions involved. Well, that kind of marketing works, obviously, and patients get driven through there. Patients are mostly driven, though, by who's going to pay for this. They have these health insurance contracts that, that – that have negotiated managed care contracts such that if I'm in you know, Cincinnati, let's say, and I go to XYZ Hospital and it's out of network and, and, and my insurance won't pay for it, I'm not going to XYZ Hospital again. The next time I get sick, I'm going to be sure and stay within network. So these networks that allow all this to happen are really a, a root cause of the evil. But what that does to, to the small guy, to the small uh, guys and gals who are out there practicing medicine, makes it very difficult for them to do so. Let me give you a personal example, if I may. You know, I have a clinic in Colleyville, Texas, which is a suburb of Fort Worth, and I'm, I'm, I've been there for five years. I don't accept any health insurance. I just take cash or credit card or check from my patients. They pay me like any other business. It's a, it's a service industry. Just down the street from me is a group of doctors. They used to be Colleyville Family Medicine for decades. They were there, decades, decades. Now, or for the past 10 years or so, they have been Baylor Family Medicine at Colleyville. They joined the uh-huh. Baylor Scott and White system. Now, the question is, why would the doctors do that? Why would the doctors voluntarily turn over their practice and become employees and cogs in this giant machine that is Baylor Scott and White? Well, I, I have to guess. Well, I'm paperwork. only guessing here, but I would say, what's that? Isn't, isn't the paperwork some of it? Well, I would say this, that if you're facing an insurer, okay, if you're facing down six or eight or 12 insurers and you're trying to negotiate managed care contracts and you're only a group of four or five or six doctors, you're David versus Goliath. I mean, you're, you're going to spend a lot of your time trying to negotiate these contracts, trying to get them, get these rates up so you can get reimbursed or paid for whatever, you know, you spend a lot of time doing that. It just became, I think, in my opinion, really, really burdensome for physicians to do this. But here's the rub. Here's the way out of this. If I could give you my solution to this. Now that patients, again, let's go back to the whole idea of a high deductible. If Daniel's got a $7,000 deductible on his insurance plan, and I have no idea what you got, but let's say you got a $7,000 deductible. You got to take your child in to the pediatrician. You want to go get your blood pressure checked, whatever. It makes a lot more sense for you from both your standpoint and the physician standpoint for you to just pay the doctor now. You're going to get a decreased rate. You're not going to get the insurance allowable rate probably, or at least you'll be able to negotiate somewhat below that. The physician is going to get paid immediately for his or her services rather than trying to chase the money down after they find out that you haven't met your deductible six weeks after they bill your insurance company. So this really, this model here, this high deductible lends itself to creating the world that we that we need, and that is where primary care is just paid for. In fact, I would say, I even go so far as to say this, no primary care physician or office visit should be paid for by health insurance. It doesn't make any sense. In other words, and yet these corporations, it, it, unpack that, unpack that for us. You're saying that sure. no panoply of services that you would offer inside of a primary care office 
whether it's stitches, right. whether it's someone, you know, it needs a right. bone set. You're saying nothing in there is the cost it's of worth that much <laughs> so yeah. that if you would actually have a functioning market that if you wouldn't have to spend your time which you don't on dealing with the administrative costs of the cartel and the you know having your right. head buried in an ipad 90 percent of the time when you're talking to the patient right. dealing with the data right. input, you're saying that you could provide it that they won't come in your office and and be stuck with an 800 1200 bill for most things oh Right, right. Well, again, and I, I don't mean to bring this up again, but it goes back to the cost of providing services. And I go over this in detail in my book. It costs me, literally, costs me to do an EKG, 50 cents. That's for the 10 pieces of plastic and a sheet of paper. So I charge 35 bucks for that, you know, for the EKG. But, you know, and it's funny. I want, I want to say this, too. I want to, all the naysayers out there that are listening, they're going, yeah, but what about your time in medical school? And what about, you know, your office facility fee, your, your, your office rent and your and utilities? hospitals and your are even bigger facility fees. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this. If I ask somebody, if I ask anybody listening to this program, how much do you think it costs Burger King to build a cheeseburger? The answer is going to be, rightfully so, well, you got the bun, you got the cheese, you got the meat, uh, if you like your veggies and ketchup or mustard or whatever. That's the cost. That's the marginal cost of Burger King to build you a cheeseburger. And it's somewhere south of the, whatever they charge for it, four ninety nine, whatever they charge for a cheeseburger, because they have to make a profit. Well, that's the cost of making the burgers. They don't start talking about the parking lot maintenance and the liability insurance and the cost of the stove and the food preparation equipment, which is all a fixed operating cost, but it's not the marginal cost of actually building my cheeseburger. So when it comes to healthcare, we have to start thinking along these same lines that, look, healthcare is just not that costly. And so everything I do in my office, like if you come into my office and I need to sew up a laceration, depending on how long the laceration is, how many packs of suture I need to unwrap and open up, the cost for me, for me and supplies and material could be anywhere from around 15 bucks to 25 bucks, maybe $30. That's my total cost marginally for having to unpack those suture materials to sew you up. Now, if I charge you in my clinic, what I charge my patients, I'm going to charge you $125 for the first packet of suture, basically. That's my total charge. That includes everything. If you go to an ER or a hospital or one of these corporate conglomerates, and wait you could be facing bills of thousands of dollars. And wait for five hours, too. And, and by the way, don't, don't, <laughs> right. as part of DPC, um, direct primary care, you know, the doctors that, are, that they don't right. pay cartel, just cash. Um, but then they guarantee kind of a membership that you could always come in and you'll be there for them. So, you know, if they have sure. an emergency, the kid is gushing blood. Rather, you're saying that rather than taking them to the emergency, they would come to your office. Well, within reason, like let's say at 1135 on New Year's Eve, one of my patients, true story, a 55, 56 year old gentleman texted me and uh, I was at a New Year's Eve party and he texted me and said, I'm so sorry to bother you but I'm having this left lower abdominal pain. So I called him immediately. I'm like, what's going on? He tells me the story. I diagnose over the phone what sounds like probable early a condition called diverticulitis. Now, 100 years ago before antibiotics, this condition could have been fatal for this man. But nowadays we can easily treat it with some antibiotics if we get them on board fast enough and avoid hospitalization, surgeries, that kind of a thing. So by midnight, by the turn of 2018, I had called in this gentleman two different antibiotics. He went and picked them up. New Year's Day, we talked on the phone. He was doing better. He came to see me in my office on Tuesday. He was doing fine. I saved him thousands of dollars from a trip to the ER because he's self-employed. He has a high deductible. He has, a, I think, a $5,000 deductible on his health insurance plan. And corporate medicine, the corporate practice of medicine, I want to get back to that. Corporate practice of medicine discourages that kind of behavior, Daniel. It discourages trying to head off things at the past before they become major problems because there's no money to be made in a phone call between me and a prescription sent to his pharmacy. There's no money to be made in that. Whereas if, if I'm, you know, if I'm working for a company and here's where the real pressure point is, anytime a physician is working for a company, guess what? That doctor can be fired. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want, if we want to do another podcast about this, I can dig up some old records back way back when, when I started working for Quest Care, which is a local emergency physicians uh, contract management group here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Back in 97, I started working for these turkeys. They would send us reports monthly 
and they would they would generate bonuses based upon whether or not we downcoded. I don't think that's a term you and I have even talked about yet. But downcoding is a situation where I could have billed, or let's say that you come in with chest pain. Now, looking at that on the surface, that ought to be billed at a level five, which is the highest severity and the most money involved. But if I don't document enough, getting back to the whole documentation requirement, spending 90 seconds in front of the, or 90 minutes in front of the computer, um, if I didn't document everything that was required to bill a level five, then my employer, QuestCare, would dock me, pay for that. They would claim that I had cost them, the company, X amount of dollars because they could only bill a level three or a level four. Now, that is the kind of nonsense, the financial nonsense that goes on when you have companies who are in charge of physicians. They're in charge of the physician's position. They're in charge of their practice. And that gives the companies tremendous power over that physician's behavior. In fact, one of my tweets, uh, and I can send this to you right away, when I was working in a freestanding emergency department back in June of 2014, I got an email from the corporate owner, a guy who used to be an investment banker, and he sent me an email, and out of six doctors, I was number four in the lineup as far as my billing went. You know why I was number four on the list? Because I only billed each patient an average of almost $4,600. Now that's every patient that I saw in the ER. That's wow. for the sore throats, the belly pains, you name it. But I only billed an average of 4,600 bucks. Now I didn't bill anything, but what I charted, and they were able to convert into billings, I wasn't charting enough. I wasn't doing enough procedures. The even guy if it was who was the number hamburger one, equivalent of healthcare. What's, I'm sorry. I even if it was what? the hamburger equivalent of healthcare. <laughs> You're saying, I mean, even well, the that, question becomes. Yeah. Okay, so so the guy who was the guy who was number one who was billing the most was billing almost ten thousand dollars per patient. Now the question becomes: Was he really seeing that many patients that were that much more sick that required CT scans and blood tests, et cetera? I would wager no. In fact, what was going on was this guy was pleasing his bosses. Wow. Getting tremendous bonus pay for this by jacking up his bills as much as possible. And in the process, putting patients through really unnecessary testing, unnecessary procedures, unnecessary things they didn't need. And in the end, could come back and violate that oath that I promised when I went to medical school and do some financial harm to the patients themselves. I choose not to do that. The free market is the best way of doing that. I promise in my clinic. I promise you, if I'm going to order a test on you, Mr. Horowitz, we're going to talk about the cost of that test. We're going to talk about its utility, the risks, the benefits, how likely it is. In fact, I have talked people out of things many, many times because I don't think it's necessary, not only from a medical standpoint, but they don't need to waste their money on this. Can I give you an example really quick? Oh, gentleman sure, came sure. into yeah, my clinic. Uh, gentleman came into my clinic uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He's a patient bodybuilder, okay? Big guy. He's got shoulders as big as my head. He's got shoulder pain. Well, you know, I mean, obviously this guy's at risk for shoulder pain, but I can't isolate where it's coming from. And, I, and it's not distinctly a muscle tenderness, so it's probably within the shoulder joint itself. Well, this is beyond my expertise. So I said, look, we have two options. He wanted an MRI. And I can get MRIs for my patients for 300 bucks or 350 I think it is, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area with cash. They pay cash. We can get you an MRI tomorrow or today if they've got a slot for 350 bucks. He wanted to go ahead and get an MRI. I said, look, I don't think you need an MRI because this may be something. I'm going to send you to an orthopedic surgeon anyway because this is a shoulder deal and you've got shoulder pain and it's been bothering you for months and it's impacting your workouts. So I have to, I have, to have you seen by a specialist anyway. I don't take care of these things. I can't do everything. But let me say this. They may just, if I order an MRI, I'm afraid they'll say, you know, that idiot Wade Casey, what's he doing? He didn't need to order an MRI. We just need to inject your shoulder and it'll be fine. They may say that, or they may say you need an MRI. I don't know. But let's let them make some of the decisions for us after they've examined you and have a, have a, have a chance to see what's going on. He was totally fine with that. He appreciated the candor. He appreciated my, my desire to not have him waste some money and time. 
So this is what the free market brings to this. Corporate medicine, forget about it. Corporate medicine would have been sending him to the Baylor XYZ company MRI and running him through a bunch of tests and maybe doing a spinal tap and, and the most querying his stuff, grandmother's yeah. genetic privileges. Go ahead. Yeah, the most, the most expensive stuff in network, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, just craziness, craziness. And if you don't do that, then you get you get a little note from the boss. You can have a cozy little chat with the boss, or you get a nice email like I did saying, "Hey, you're only billing forty six hundred bucks. What gives?" <laughs> well, I'm shocked it's that much, but you know, I mean, I'm trying my best to do what the patient needs, what not what my employer wants, and that's the real crux of having physicians employed. Sure, I I want to get from you um, practical advice both for patients and physicians and i want to start off with patients you know how to make this work so a lot of our sure. audience i'm sure they're thinking this listen listening to you um our audience is the type like me that they understand things cost money in life they don't want freebies they want to pay a re reasonable amount but they don't want to be gouged for, for something that just doesn't make any sense like you you know gave very very good examples with the ekg and, and you know burger king um but given that the government has set up a domino effect over decades and then, mm -hmm. you know, culminating with Obamacare, and you're right, now people are stuck in a situation where you, you get the worst of both. You get the worst of the insurance system, but then the non-insurance system. So you have to pay an insane amount for premiums, but then you don't even get the prepaid plan. You do have to pay out of pocket. So people are willing to shop. But the problem right. is it, it, I, I, it's very hard to find – Anyone who's willing to work with you, negotiate a price, and precisely because a lot of them are cartels now, because the insurance cartel, you need to have a provider healthcare conglomerate hospital cartel to deal with them. So they, they practice sure. medicine. You have one guy come in without Medicaid subsidies or, or you know, your corporate uh, plan card. Um, look, I'm a self-pay. Well, screw you. They don't want to deal with you. Um, let me just, before you answer, I want to give you an example of what I dealt with recently. Um, the only issue I have, thank, thank goodness, thank God, is, is uh, spring allergies. Really, allergies. really simple. I mean, you know, really simple. We're not talking about um, asthma or complex allergies, right. just the stinking hay fever. Okay. So right, right. The, the only thing that tends to work for me are the steroid-based um nasal sprays which are very expensive three four hundred dollars a pop and that's a whole nother deal with the fda and the whole you know pharmaceutical right. side that if we had a free market i'm sure that would come down as well but fine oh so absolutely so, those are cheap, cheap yeah yeah produce. but but it, this is let me tell you nasal spray is like uh i mean it's it's just earth shattered so i got so i already know i have to spend <laughs> maybe i can get a coupon 250 for for q nasal a pop and it's a small thing all right i'm resigned i'm gonna pay it so i'm already paying a lot right. for that Here's the thing. I call up my um, the allergist to get a prescription and say, hey, you know, I need some cunasal. Um, well, it's been over 12 months since you came in last. Um, so therefore, we can't give it to you no matter what. So I got to go in there. And here's the deal. The guy I see, and he's a nice guy, and we always make fun of the healthcare when I come. That's the point. There's nothing, you know, like sometimes I'll joke around and look in my mouth. I'm not sick. I'm healthy. It's just, I have the spring allergy, so I need I the freaking Q-nasal. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. And, but the guy's not even a doctor. He's a PA. Um, you know, uh, but if uh, I were to lovely. go in there, I would get, no matter what, I would get a bill for over $100. And I'm not what they say in Yiddish, a schnorr. I have, I have no desire to go in there and complain about the five ten dollar copay. But when the guy is literally doing nothing, I mean like nothing, as nothing. We just talk about politics when I go and he asks me about my job, and then here's the cunasal prescription. So I I got the three hundred dollars for the cunasal per pop, and then I got to spend who knows how much for the visit. This is how those of us that aren't either getting corporate plans or um. Or uh, now I understand they would have to pay out of pocket, but they're not paying fortune for the premiums or those on, on subsidies are getting hosed. What would you advise? Yeah. How do you shop around? Well, uh, without sounding too trite, which I don't mean to do, um, really, it is the same as every other aspect of your life. 
you basically shop around by making calls, doing your own research, let your fingers do the walking, as they said with the Yellow Pages commercial, although I don't think we have Yellow Pages anymore. We have this even better option than the Yellow Pages called the Internet, where not only can you look up various specialists, various physicians, various healthcare providers, you can also, in many cases, read reviews of them and see what your fellow patients think about these doctors, what about their bedside manner, their ability to convey information, et cetera. So there's a great resource, and it's only going to get better. Trust me. I've got, I've got like 29 Google reviews of my clinics, only five of which are negative, and the five that are negative, I won't go into. But the bottom line is you can really read, you can gather a lot of information about the quality or the at least the, the, the personality and the ability to communicate from these Google reviews. Now, as far as pricing goes, I write about this in my book, in the first book, and that is if you go into the doctor's office and you tell them you have health insurance, then all bets are off. I mean, at that point, and I want to be clear on this, <clears throat> patients often tell me, I get people often say, well, I can't, I can't tell them I don't have health insurance because that would be committing health insurance fraud. No, no, no. You, Mr. Horowitz, cannot commit health insurance fraud by doing that. You can choose to use your health insurance to pay for a doctor visit, in which case you might get billed 300 bucks. You might get billed whatever they're gonna bill your health insurance company. And if you have a high deductible, you're gonna be stuck with paying whatever they, they choose to make you pay. <clears throat> Whereas if you want to just shop around and use your, your pay out of your pocket, then you don't tell these people you have health insurance. You're not committing health insurance fraud by doing that. You're just choosing to pay for it via, it would be like pulling out your check versus your credit card versus sure. just cash. It's your method of payment that you can choose. So patients are free to choose to use their health insurance or not use their health insurance. Okay, what's the, what's the downside of not using your health insurance? Well, whatever you pay that PA, which I would pay a PA a lot less than I would pay a doctor, by the way, for seeing you and talking politics. <laughs> but um, whatever you pay the PA is going to be a lot less. Typically, I would I would wager ninety nine percent of the time you're going to pay a lot less than you would if you if you were to pay through your health insurance plan. The downside is that payment, whatever you do end up paying them, is not probably more than likely not going to go toward your deductible. So in other words, you're not going to get any credit for the few hundred bucks that you spend out of your own pocket. You can try. You can ask the provider for what's called a super bill, and that is a special receipt that's got codes on there that the insurance companies use to create diagnoses and, and look at procedures. You can ask for the super bill, and then you can take the initiative and file it yourself. You can file on your own health insurance, much like you do your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance plan. But there's no guarantee, and I want to be very clear in this, there's no guarantee that the health insurance company, your health insurance plan, is going to play along with you. But it might be worth a shot, especially for something like a big ticket item, like an MRI. <clears throat> I'll tell you another true story that really happened. This doesn't involve an MRI, but it does involve a CT scan, and this really did happen. May, or I'm sorry, September 2015 two and a half years ago, a woman comes in, her and her husband own a chain of, of restaurants here around the Dallas-Fort area. So they're no slouches. I mean, they, they make good money, but they're self-employed. They have a, a $5,000 deductible health insurance plan. She comes in with a cough that she said for four months. It doesn't sound like an infection or bronchitis or anything. It sounds more concerning. She doesn't have any smoking history, but she's worked in the restaurant industry and been around a lot of secondhand smoke. So I send her for a chest x-ray to see if anything's brewing. Lo and behold, she goes and gets a $45 chest x-ray, okay, at my imaging center where I send my patients to. Lo and behold, she comes back. Guess what? She's got something that shows up as a shadow. Looks like it may be a tumor. Oh, my gosh. Need to order a CT scan to rule that out. So she comes in. She calls her husband. He comes up there. They're both wringing their hands. Obviously, everybody's concerned. And I said, now, listen, we're going to do a CT scan, okay? Now, I'm going to order it, but how do you pay for it? It's going to be your business. But let me give you some advice. Let me tell you what's behind door number one. If you want to use your health insurance plan to pay for this CT scan, then they're probably going to make you go through one of their primary care physicians in network because I'm about as out of network as you can get. And that may take a few weeks for you to even get an appointment since you don't have a PCP already. Then they're going to have to look at you. They're going to have to look at the x-ray and decide that, yes, you indeed need a CT scan. 
And even then, when you go and get this study, which may be weeks from now, you're going to get hit with the full bill. And I would wager that it's going to be four figures at least, you know, at least maybe a thousand, two thousand bucks. Who knows what it's going to be? And you're going to get hit with it because you haven't met your deductible. Or here's the alternative, guys. Here's what's behind door number two. You can go over there right now. They've got a slot available for you, that same place. I'm sorry to make you have to drive three miles again, but you got to go over there and get this scan done. They'll do it right now for $270. Now, what do you want to do? Well, of course, they went and got the CT scan right then. She came back. It showed negative. There was no no tumor, no nothing. It was all a shadow in the x-ray. Uh, are you talking I about imaging you, centers? Where would people go for that? Well, so this is an imaging center that's in Grapevine, Texas. It's not hospital-affiliated. See? Aha. We go back to the whole corporate practice thing. This imaging center, this particular one, is owned by a radiologist who I really respect. And he has CT, MRI, ultrasound imaging, uh, plain film x-rays imaging. He gives my patients special cash discounts. He gives everybody a special cash discount. It's even on his website, the cash discounts that he offers, because he's not contracted with health insurance networks. So my point is to this whole uh, story, though, is that, yes, you're going to end up spending a little bit of money. You're going to spend up, end up spending some money if you come down with something like this, but by not using your health insurance, by not going through the cartel, as you like to say, very aptly, I might add, by not turning to the cartel and looking to them to assist you in these endeavors, you can save a ton of money. And people should be doing this. And to answer your question, as soon as Americans do start doing this, by the thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands and even millions, guess what's going to happen? The prices of health care are going to come down. I, I close out my first book by saying this. It's up to you. Once Americans get the notion that, hey, it's up to me to change my health care prices because I control it. How I pay for it is how I choose to pay for it. And finding providers, I, I write about this in the book as well, that I write a chapter where I say, look, it's not going to be easy. And I'm not saying that you're going to find somebody who's willing to work with you on the first first go around, but it's still worth you trying because once they hear enough of these stories, they're going to have to change. They have to if they want to survive because these high deductibles, which aren't going anywhere anytime soon, that means that patients have to pay. Sooner or later, the patient ends up paying. And in that case, in that scenario, it, it benefits everybody for the patient just to pay. And then that makes it uh, incumbent upon the provider to give you a good price, a good discount. It's the way, it's the way everything else works that we buy in our lives. Do you have any We're just not used websites. to applying it. Do you have any good websites that people could check out that kind of – is there any equivalent of Kelly Blue Book, things like that? Yes, there's the healthcarebluebook.com. That's and what you get on there, it's a free resource. It's called Healthcare Blue Book. Are you familiar with it? I, I, think, I think that's probably where I got the Blue Book idea from. It, it, right, it's probably right. my mind. So, so Healthcare Blue Book. It's a good one. The Healthcare Blue Book. You plug in. It doesn't even ask you for too much information. You basically plug in your zip code. And it'll, and then you plug in what testing you want to look for or what procedures, and it'll tell you. Now, the obviously, the, the one you know, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma is well-known. Now it's getting more and more well-known for being a, a very maverick surgical practice where you can go have things as complicated as knee replacements done, uh, cataract surgery, um, uh, some gynecologic procedures they offer. I mean, they offer all kinds of surgery. Their prices are right there on yep. their website, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And, you know, if you're talking about $6,000, and I'm just throwing that out there, if you're talking about $6,000 for a procedure, Versus fifty thousand dollars, it might be worth a trip to Oklahoma. And, and I would, <laughs> and I would add to that, guys. Kevin. I would add to that, Kevin. Um, just because they don't take cartel, it doesn't mean you're even on the hook for six thousand. So, and I think they've even advertised this. But I've, I, I switched last year to Liberty HealthShare, Health Sharing Ministry. Mm -hmm. So there, it right. kind of functions like an insurance in terms of hedge against risk, but it's a community taking care of each other. And exactly sure. in that situation, A, I don't want to screw them because, we, you know, we, we want to care about each other. I don't want to run up the bill. Um, so even though right. they would actually cover it, you know, that's something if something would happen and I would need, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, some sort of bone surgery like that, they would cover it as long as you qualified originally. 
Um, and then you could go there, and it's fully covered by them, except um, from the surgery center standpoint, they don't have to deal with a cartel. They just reimburse. They pay it that's out right. done. There's no games played, but that's actually that's right. So it's not, not just, oh, it's much less, but it's still a fortune. Um, DPC works seamlessly with hell sharing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, well, let me, let me clarify that. I don't think, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that uh, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma would accept payment from health sharing, would they? I think they what happens is the might. patient has to pay. They actually might. I thought well, it was no, the other I'm way around. I'm not certain on but, that. But either, but either way. No, I'll ask Keith. He, he ask, runs I the place. I'll Keith ask Dr. Smith. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious if he does, but yeah, because that might be a burden administratively, even even something like that. But certainly, look, yeah. you know, heck, I'd shell it out. I, I'll I'll transfer money from my <laughs> my savings to my checking if I knew I could do that. And, you know, get it out, and, and knowing that at least they'll reimburse me at some point, um, and then you save a bundle of money. So yeah, I mean, that's the way of the, of the future. We're running out of time. I want to cover two more issues. So the flip sure, side sure. of this, um, before we move on to the final point here, the flip side here is. Um, the doctors. So, you know, you're brave, you're a DPC physician, but what, what would you tell physicians that, um, look, they, they, they take this fiduciary responsibility very important. Um, obviously you have bad apples in medicine, like you have bad cops, but for the most part, they're good. Right. They, wanted, they, they go to medical school because they want to practice medicine, not be a bureaucrat. But what's, what's happening is what I'm seeing is there's a slash and burn. There's a carrot and a stick. Where on oh, yeah. the one hand, yeah. the government will kill you with, with um, the paperwork and the electronic healthcare records and the uh, government cartel and the insurance cartel and the and the reimburse. So that's the that's the um, stick. Those are the regs. But on the other hand, because government has higher reimbursement rates through Medicaid and Medicare with facility fees and three forty B programs to. Um, the cartel, you get paid more working for the cartel. So, like, look, I'll have less pain, less, uh, you know, less problems, and I'll get paid more. Isn't that why the market well, is dictating that th that giant sucking well, sound you're hearing is, is physicians <laughs> moving to the cartel? Well, I will say this. Now, keep in mind what Suzanne Cheka or Susan Cheka wrote in that article that I told you about from 2000, that hospitals and other corporate entities can generate two to three times the, the physician's salary and revenue. What that means is that everything the physician brings in, the physician isn't getting paid all that. No, no, no. The company takes a hefty chunk out of that. In fact, I practiced emergency medicine for 20 years as an ER doctor. I never could. I couldn't tell you what I billed a single patient Daniel, other than this email that I got, this nebulous email that said I was billing an average of 4600 bucks per, I couldn't tell you what I charged for visits because all that financial info was kept from me, and it's kept from the majority of physicians. But to answer your question, doctors, especially primary care doctors, have no business working for companies, and they have no business taking health insurance for something that costs as little as office visits and office procedures. In fact, I just so happens I'm writing a book about this called The Guide to Establishing a Direct Patient Care Medical Practice. I like the term direct patient care instead of direct primary care because I think that we're going to see this evolve into really all levels of medical practice, even heart surgeons, even, even you know, super specialized guys that only operate on fetuses in the womb. The bottom line is, and I go so far as to say this, health insurance really shouldn't cover an office visit period. I mean, I mean, that would be like asking health this, insurance or car insurance to cover a flat tire. You, you just reminded me of something. You know, talk about a specialist. The specialist is a loaded term. I mean, it could be a cardiologist, but it's also an, an allergist. I mean, give me a break. Nothing personal right. to my local allergist here right. miles away, but I mean, come on. I mean, what are you doing already? Where's the overhead? What's the big deal? That's right. Office visits are very Look, you have your fixed operating cost, but what it costs me to see Daniel in my office is really Nothing other than my time, because all my operating expenses are there no matter what. But if all I'm going to sit down and do is talk with you for half an hour, an hour or whatever, I have expended no expenditure except for the opportunity cost that I might be doing something else. But, but I'm just saying, time. Kevin, but markets 
are do dictate things now obviously the market sure. didn't dictate the cartel but once the government creates it's like a submarket it's kind of like medicare advantage is somewhat of a free market so to speak created by a cartel it's kind of like oh, yeah, rins yeah. credits we spoke about before on this show um of the ethanol mandate you know it's i right, call it venture right, right. socialism well you have kind of a venture capitalism built off of something that would have never gotten off the ground but now that it's gotten sure. off the ground the bottom line is from mid 2012 to mid-2016 because of Obamacare and the Medicaid expansion um, and, and all the regs and the you know compliance and the paperwork that comes with it, the number of hospital-employed physicians grew by 63%. So I'm just saying clearly they're seeing, um, you know, whether they like it or not, and I'm sure a lot of them don't like it, but they're willing to sell out to the cartel. And I well, just, you know, how do we stop that okay, trend? In the case of specialists, let me talk about this this case that I that I sent you. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but I wrote a paper sure. about this. I wrote a, an article about this back in 2000 as well about this Texas case. Texas has one of the largest or one of the strongest prohibitions against the corporate practice of medicine in the 50 states. Appellate level decisions have said that laypersons shall not profit off the practice of medicine. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but the corporate practice of medicine, despite those laws, is the rule rather than the exception in Texas. And the way it's done is they get around this by forming these these uh, shell corporations that only handle the finances, and then they contract with a physician's company to manage the doctors. But what's in it for the doctors, especially, let's separate out the specialists versus the primary care folks, the office-based versus the procedural folks. What's in it for the specialists is that the hospitals can, and they do, as, as, as pointed out in that Texas legal case uh, article that I sent you this morning, what the hospitals will do is they will restrict your privileges. They will tell a pediatric heart surgeon, which, come on, I mean, how many how many pediatric heart surgeons are there out there? How many operate? How many hospitals are there for them to be employed at? Not too many. This is a this is a small market. Well, if the hospital suddenly up and decides, and hey, listen, because you're not playing ball with us without any other due process. We're just going to restrict your privileges. We're going to form an exclusive contract with somebody else to come in and provide a heart surgery at our hospital, which means you can't do it anymore, doctor. That should be illegal. That's and and well, the and, case and I just sent to, you. Just I, you know, before any anyone anyone in our audience, you know, jumps on you and says, "Hey, you're sound, sounding like Bernie Sanders." The reality is, that hospitals <laughs> are they are not profit, even though they make a profit, they don't pay taxes. So if you want to tell right. us that you're a steward of the public good, you have no right to say any qualified physician can't perform. Is that what you're saying? Well, let me say this. To get privileges at a hospital requires a lot of due process. You have to submit your application. You have to prove where you've worked. They do all this background investigation. It's, it's a very rigorous process. But when a hospital can fire a physician, or, or by default, as the appellate court held in that particular case, the Zamora case, they can, they can restrict the physician's privileges without due process, without proving that the physician is a menace to the patients or the physician is doing something wrong. Without that kind of due process, when a hospital can just arbitrarily and capriciously snap its fingers and, and take away my ability to practice at that hospital, that's where these doctors come into play that, you know, I used to work in a small town in West Texas. Every specialist, every doctor in town was owned by the Shannon Clinic, the Shannon Hospital Clinic, because if they wanted to operate there, if they wanted to work at that hospital, guess what? They had to become employees. When you're stuck in San Angelo, Texas, you got no choice. Hospitals should wow. not be allowed to do that, but they've been allowed to do that through laws like the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act of 1986, the HMO Act uh, of 1973. These are things that the government has done to allow this kind of behavior that, again, doesn't exist in any other industry. Oh, to my by knowledge. the way, if you ever say, hey, I'm fed up with this and I'm going to start my own hospital, most states have a certificate of need where the, That's right. the AMA and the AHA and the That's cartel right. sit on the board and say, hey, let's see if there's a need for competition with us. Oh, and by the way, Obamacare right. banned physician-owned hospitals. That's a part of Obamacare That's a lot right. of people forget about. Um, I know Crazy. Keith, when he was on the show, he talked about that a lot. He was bothered by that. Um, and you don't hear anyone talk about it anymore because uh, – you know, obviously, Republicans have no narrative. Um, right. Wow. This has been very informative, as always. Uh, we're about out of time, and I have to get back to fighting the omnibus bill. But sure. I am going to have to. Job have, ahead of you. Yeah, I'm going to have to have you back again to discuss this whole government hoax 
and lie um, misdiagnosing the so-called opioid crisis and how government is now practicing oh, medicine yeah. worse yeah. than they've ever done before. So that hold that thought, um, learn up can on I this say one issue. More thing? Can I just say, sure. can I say one more thing? There was a candidate running for office in Houston named David Belot. David is yep. a wonderful guy. He didn't make this primary. Hopefully he'll run again and do it next time. But he did something that we need in our political candidates and our conservative candidates. He, made, he publicly voiced that he was not going to accept any big money from the lobbying firms of health care, or I'm sorry, from the health insurance or from Big Pharma. He publicly stated that. We need candidates willing to take that, willing to do that. Yeah, it's a three-legged stool. It's hospitals, the, the insurance. Yeah. And pharmacies. And, and, and that's yeah. the point. It's kind of like, you know, I'm doing a lot of research on, you know, the drug problems and the drug cartels. And it's the same thing. Yeah. It takes a cartel to deal with a cartel. There's different runs <laughs> on it, different layers. And that's why, you know, on the provider side, you need the pharmacy cartel and the, and the hospital conglomerate cartel because the government created the insurance cartel as the master of right. all health care and individuals, you know, I have a hard time dealing with it. So that is actually a question. We have a Meet the Candidate series. I'm thinking of adding that to our standard questions, whether they're going to swear off. Yeah. Um, cartel would, you, would, you, would you be willing to do without this money? Oh, that that's is, great. I, I vote for them. That gets my vote right there. Yeah, that is definitely well, good. All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, you, folks, sir. check him out on Twitter, HConomics, at HConomics. Um, he's very prolific. I don't know how he has time for that, but read that, his website. We're going to link to all of it in show notes. I got to go back to fighting the other 50 million issues, and we are going to cover it all later here. Stick to CRTV and conservativereview.com as your one-stop shop. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 